Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Evening Standard and the Borough Press present Underground, Tales for London. Jubilee Line by Leila Alamar Read by Ash Reezy June 2007 We never ride the train. Um Nadia says it's because it makes her sick. But she's lying when she says this. It's the crowds she can't deal with. The intimacy of strangers of bodies pressing up against her or pushing past on their way to the exit or an empty seat. She doesn't like to be touched. Whenever we're in this city, with its lights and beings and things, she calls taxis to shuttle her from one place to another, even if they take longer or stink of fried food or charge an obscene amount for so short a journey. I don't mind the crowds. I like the underground. It's an image of the world above, a microcosm that mimics what happens up there on those dense, pushy streets. The posh couple boarding at Notting Hill, with their jewels and brands and expensive smiles, making their way east or south. The men in suits with their important leather bags disembarking at Westminster. The boys who look like girls and girls who look like boys deboarding at Bethnal Green or Camden. The Bengalis heading east or the Africans crossing the river. The rich Arab tourists playing locals, as Dahlia and Nadia used to do, going from one shopping stop to another, leaving their mothers and aunties to taxi back and forth above them. It's all here, encapsulated in these metal tubes hurtling through space and time, day in and day out, forever. There are only a handful of us here, spread out along the blue and white carriage for the sake of personal space. A beautiful young woman in business trousers and a cream blouse plays with her phone, a large diamond twinkling on her left hand. An olive-skinned man with a thick beard reads the newspaper. Heavy black bag at his feet and low hat shading his eyes. The sort of man people might be concerned about, were it not for the large wooden cross lying on his hairy chest. I'm the sort of man people might be concerned about, were it not for my high-end clothes and clean face. 
There's a blonde man with pale, almost white eyebrows standing near the door, staring at it with a quiet intensity, while the cell phone in his hand beeps out endless notifications. We sway here, in quiet communion, with the movement of the train. I wonder where my girl is. Dahlia, with her sad eyes and mind that is still so very far away. She left the hotel early this morning, before her mother was awake. In a long sweater, despite the June heat, she grabbed her small shoulder bag, put on those massive sunglasses she never takes off, and walked out of the suite. If Um Nadia is awake, she asks Dahlia unending questions about where she's going and who she's meeting. She cannot fathom someone wishing to just wander the city streets alone. She sees no value in it. Depending on her mood, she will cajole or guilt-trip our daughter into staying close, as though proximity to us is what guarantees her protection. There are no guarantees in life, certainly none of safety. She gets it from me, her constant longing for solitude. I have always preferred my own company, in my garden at home, among the herbs and flowering shrubs and curious street cats, or in my study, with Um Kaltum on the stereo and maps spread open, circles on cities I plan on taking my family to next, or driving up and down the Gulf Road like those teenagers making eyes at each other at every stoplight. Dahlia is like this, though now I wonder if it is a thing she inherited from me, like the curls in her hair or the point of her chin, or whether it is an acquired habit, born of what was done to her. If this tendency weren't so strong in me, would I have been more suspicious of it in her? Would it have compelled me to seek out a malign cause? Or would I have ignored it, accepting it as just another facet of her new personhood? The train shudders to a stop and more people come on. It must be pouring outside because they are cursing the rain and the winds and the streets with their buses and cars crashing through puddles. Three young men get on, barely more than teenagers, and shake themselves like wet dogs, flinging huge droplets here and there and shoving at one another with cackles and filthy words. It's how my brothers and I were, a lifetime ago now, on our first trip to the city. There's a young family, a mother and father and two little boys. The children are in matching boots and raincoats, and the woman with the diamond ring loves it, calling them over to sit by her and cooing over the outfits. The mother and father smile and look proud of these little lives they've created. She looks tired and uses her bony hands to crack her neck to the side, laughing when her husband shivers and winces in response. Another woman gets on, with a young girl dragging her feet and slumping into the seat at her side. The girl is all in black, with heavy black lines around her small eyes and blue dyes streaking her hair, and those heavy leather boots all the teenagers in this city wear, like they're always marching off to war. This girl, twelve or thirteen, would she have caught his eye? She's a child, and a shiver crawls up my spine at the thoughts and images that crash, unbidden into my mind. I am sick with it, or with the motion of the train. 
or with some combination of all that we have endured these past years. Girls are terrifying creatures, tiny, helpless beings that you carry around on your hip, who only want soft and pastel-colored things, whose faces you have to wipe clean of their mother's makeup, and then, suddenly, over a day and night, it seems, they are something new. They become what you never expected them to be. Gone is the softness and the seeking of comfort from Mama's lap or Baba's shoulder. Instead, there is coldness and dark illustrations you can't begin to understand. And silence. So much silence and shoulder shrugging and I'm fine. What is a girl at twelve, at thirteen? She's like clay. She can be whatever you want, whatever she thinks she ought to be. The future is a prism, and she can throw herself into any light, any color, any existence. There is no way to tell what the woman will be. They say when you are creating them, you are planting a seed. But the analogy ends there. There is the seed planted, but you have no idea what will grow. A flower, a tree, a cactus? There is no way to predict it. You can only wait and see. Where is my girl? The minute they leave their mother, control becomes an illusion, and their safety forever and always in question. Is she on the streets above me now, with the train rumbling unfelt beneath her feet? Are men leering at her, making obscene gestures and speaking terrible things? How often... And in how many ways is she subject to the animalism of men? There is no way for me to shield her from everything when I couldn't even shield her from him. No way to shove her back into her mother's womb where she was always warm and safe. The first time I rode the underground, back in the late 70s or early 80s, a man showed me his penis. That sounds like it was directed at me, which I don't think it was. It was more of a display for the whole train carriage. Two teenage girls sat across the aisle from the man and a large, semi-erect member rising from his gaping trousers. At first, they were too preoccupied, giggling behind their palms, wrapped up in some saga from school. When they did see... They screamed with what sounded like two girlish squeals of delight. Are these the things that confuse men who are monsters? The train stopped and the man ran off. And the girls chased after him, screaming, Get him! He's got his willy out! Did Dahlia ever consider being that brave? Did my girl ever for one second consider coming to me? Telling me what he was doing to her? I cannot forgive her that silence. So many silences I brushed off, silences of moodiness, silences of a girl coming to terms with menstruation, silences of chemicals firing in a growing mind. But I cannot forgive the silence of hands wandering over her body, lips touching where they shouldn't have, attention from a man who should not have been giving it to her. Dr. Jamal told me when I, against Unadia's wishes, consulted a therapist about our daughter who never left the bed, who didn't eat, didn't speak, 
who would not look anyone in the eye, that I shouldn't blame her, that she felt enough guilt for what happened to her. He said women were hardwired to feel guilt, to take the blame for whatever misfortune befalls them. I said it was us men, with our failings and insecurities and inherent weakness, that caused them to feel that way. The doctor didn't agree, but neither did he argue. He said to let Dahlia go at her own pace and to hold my tongue around her. I had nothing to say to her, least of all words of blame. She was a child. She is a child. It was him. It was all him. And it was me and her mother and the trust we so badly misplaced. The guilt is mine. The failure is mine and it always will be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I have no words of blame to direct at her, but deep down in my heart, at times I can feel the emotion simmer and bubble. I was full of rage then when it happened. What father wouldn't have been, I thought I would kill him. My fury was so incandescent. It was a white-hot emotion, flaming behind my eyeballs. I felt lit up with it, zealous with it. I felt certain it would burn me up from the inside out, so that I would be left as nothing but a pile of useless ashes on the carpet. It took months to douse the flames. Months of Um Nadia and her pleas for silence to protect the family honor. Months of watching Dahlia more closely than I've ever watched anything. On the lookout for pill hoarding, or sharp objects, or anything else she might turn against herself. Months of reading about that specific kind of trauma, and how best to pull a loved one out of its grip. It took months, two years now, but still the embers are there in my belly. They refuse to die. Perhaps they never will. The train stops again. Kilburn passes before my eyes, and I try to place it on my mental map of the city. But I have ridden far beyond my normal neighborhoods now, and I don't know it well enough. I try to gauge the area by the people who get on at the stop. It's not raining here, that much is obvious, as laughing twos and trees, dry and warm, board the car. Two Asians, young, maybe Dahlia's age, with hat brims low over their eyes and patches on their shirts. A white man with fire engine hair moving his head in time with the beat coming out of his headphones. A tinny annoyance that scratches at my mind. An old couple, dry and wrinkled. He, patient with hands clasped behind his back, while she shuffles along to an empty seat. How can these trains run like this all day and night, carting all these lives around? Trains bursting with all manner of beings, so many people, all with stories, horrors, troubles, and joys. All these people brimming with love, with hate, with fear and anxiety. How can the trains carry them all? 
The woman with her twinkling diamond ring disembarked at some point that I didn't notice. But the man with the white eyebrows remains at the door, glancing down at his phone and clenching his fist every so often in a tense motion. When the girls were younger, I used to tell them there was a world parallel to our own, once inhabited by jinn, strange beings that were just like us but made of fire. Their world perfectly overlapped ours in every way. They had buildings and towers and bridges. They had families and friends and lovers. They were doctors and bankers and politicians and believers and infidels. Just like us, like how the underground mirrors the world above it. And that some places, like this city perhaps, were so full of beings, so full of all the world had ever and would ever contain, that it tore a fabric in space and the gene would come here to play. Nadia would just laugh it off, but Dahlia's black eyes would grow huge and round in her little face and she would squeak out a, Really? Or, Swear, Bobo! And then I would laugh and lift her into a hug. When she was older, she challenged me, saying that if what I said were true, we'd be able to play in the world of the gene as well. And I'd wiggle my eyebrows and say, How do you know we don't? And she would go very quiet and return to her ever more monstrous drawings. At the time, I had thought it was these things, imaginary things, that scared her. These days, um Nadia at night, when we are in bed and quiet, will try to talk to me about Dahlia marrying, as though this is something our daughter would ever now consider. I tell her it's impossible, that she is foolish and stupid for thinking of such a thing at this time, barely two years now since it happened. She disagrees. The best way for her to forget is to be married to a man who is good to her, as if finding such a man is as easy as going to the market for rice. I have no patience for these in-the-dark mumblings of hers. I turn away and pretend to sleep barking at her when she talks about trips to Beirut or Cairo where a doctor can stitch our girl back to innocence. She cannot conceive of our daughter remaining innocent despite what was done to her. She thinks such a thing could stitch up the past or sew over what happened. Can this doctor stitch up our minds as well? Can he shut away the images and the dead look in her eyes and the memories that I sift through searching for some sign I'd missed? She used to ask me if I regretted not having boys, if I was displeased with her for giving me two girls instead, as if it were in any way within her control. It took years for us to have any children at all. I didn't care what we ended up with. It took so long that I wondered whether it was right that we should have them, that perhaps God was sending us a sign that we were unfit for it. Um Nadia was hysterical always talking this nonsense of my taking a second wife to supply me with children because what else is the point of marriage? I sometimes wonder if any of this is God's will or if we force the issue with children and are now being punished for it. Nadia was perfection. Nadia was easy. She wanted pink and dolls and her mother's lap until she was 14 or 15. There was no moodiness no sullen mouths and hard eyes and silent shrugging of shoulders. 
She wanted a big wedding and a prince and babies to dress and cuddle and burp on her shoulder. She said yes to the first man Umnadia presented her with and in no time was eager to start pushing out babies of her own. Nadia lulled us into a false sense of security. So stupidly, we thought that since they were raised in the same house, by the same parents, in the same surroundings, Dahlia would be just as easy. It tortures me, this not knowing how much of it was her and how much was what he was doing to her. She thinks of it too. She said it once when she thought I wasn't listening, when she had her sketchbook open in her lap and she was drawing something so dark I asked her to put it away before her mother returned. She was pressing harder and harder into the lines, shading and darkening her ghouls and shadows, and I heard her mumble, there's a world somewhere where this didn't happen. It torments me all the more that she is so aware of how utterly and completely her life has and will always be impacted by this. He took more than her body, that monster. He took more than her body or her innocence or her trust. He took who she might have been. The train stops at a station I recognize, but the majority of passengers are uninterested in it. I almost miss it. The doors are almost closing, but I lunge for the gap and keep them open with an arm and squeeze my way out. The man with the white eyebrows calls me a wanker for holding up the train as the doors bounce back open and the conductor comes on to tell people not to block the exits. There's hardly anyone in the halls as I make my way through the station, but throngs of them are clogging up the lane heading for the eastbound platform. I don't know what time of day it is or what the conditions are outside, and when I get to the main atrium, when I'm staring at those boards showing the tangled web of lines that will take you anywhere, I can't help but focus on the pink and yellow and purple ones heading for King's Cross. King's Cross and its trains that could take me anywhere. To the north, south, up and east. Or get back on the train I just scrambled off and go down to Waterloo to catch a train to Paris or Brussels. Take a train to anywhere, to nowhere. Escape this. All these lives I don't know what to do with anymore. It isn't raining anymore, but the residue is there. Puddles in the street, drops of water shaking loose from the trees and sliding off awnings. Wet pedestrians and cars beaded with water. People have umbrellas tucked into armpits and hoodies still up over their heads. The sun is shining, but cafes and restaurants are mistrustful and haven't brought their tables and chairs outside yet. Just because the thing is done doesn't mean it's over. How many worlds are there out there spinning? Worlds where someone wasn't hurt, where someone noticed something they should have seen and handled it, where lives weren't shattered and bodies weren't ripped apart. Worlds of jinn, worlds like the underground overlapping and brushing up against each other. Worlds just like ours, but with the smallest of differences. A Jean Dahlia, who didn't stay silent, and her Jean father who did something about it. Do these worlds exist? Are there places, bursting with beings' places, where the fabric tears and we can play there? 
I turn the corner and see the back of the hotel. I don't know this city at all, or perhaps I don't know it too well. On a bench in the little park across the way sits my girl, in her too heavy sweater, with the sleeves pushed down to cover the scars on her pale arms. Under her fingernails there will be candle wax. Under her eyes there will be dark circles. There will be no expression on her face, and her mind will be very far away. Does she not wander these streets as I thought she did? Does she leave the hotel every morning just to sit in this park at its back? Does she do it out of fear, because she knows we're nearby should she need us? What use is there for fear now, when the worst has already happened? Jubilee Line is a short story of the underground from Leila Alamar. Leila Alamar's latest novel, The Pact We Made, is out on the 7th of March 2019 and will be available in audiobook, hardback and ebook. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.